What's up, everybody? This is Free Association. Back together again. J.D. Bunkus and Donovan Bennett. International man of mystery. Donovan Bennett. Circumvent, like, going around the globe, essentially. Getting back into the city. I'm like, what's Donovan doing today? They're like, he's got a speaker series at Ryerson. He's hosting Tim and Sid. He's just fresh off of interviewing Joel Embiid. Do not bother him. Go about the podcast by yourself. What's up, man? How are your travels? I mean... I don't think Baltimore is across the globe. To me, it's far. All right? <laughs> no one needed to know it was Baltimore. I, in fact, I didn't know it was Baltimore. Why was Embiid in Baltimore? I guess that's where Under Armour's based out of, right? Their global headquarters is in Baltimore, yeah. Kevin Plank, the founder, is from Baltimore. Yeah. When's that coming out, your stuff with Embiid? Uh, I don't have stuff with Embiid. What? I, I, I don't have stuff with Embiid. Like, I was there, and I was in a room where he debuted his shoe. Yeah. I thought I saw a picture of you two sitting down together. No, that was just another black guy. No, that's not the way it was. It was definitely <laughs> you and MB in a photo together. No, it definitely was not. What? Give me this. Let me pull up your I was Instagram. in a room with Embiid. I didn't even have my phone in the room. Were you standing next to Embiid? I certainly was not. I was sitting across from him. But there was his shoe released. The UA Embiid one will drop in the fall. But it's like embargoed so i don't know if you've been to one of the oh new so am i just not supposed to talk about this no you can but like because it's an audio medium and people can't see the shoe by us talking about it okay i don't know if you've been to one of the comedy concerts recently like the high level ones where they take your phone away uh I, have, on tour. I was supposed to go to john mulaney the other night but he canceled on his audience at the very last minute i showed up at what's sony center called now sony center for the performing arts it's not called that anymore though it's called something else and they're pissed because i don't know it right now four seasons no it's something with an m like the matisse uh, entertainment center i went down there in the snow on saturday basically in the blizzard and they got it sent out an email earlier that was like make sure you leave early because there's weather conditions and it did not apply for the comic. So I didn't have the opportunity to put the phones in the bag, but they did that with the shoes. Correct. Yeah. So you put your phone in like a little lock sleeve, you get it as you leave. And uh, so I was in a room with like 20 other journalists to see the shoe, but um, I did not interview him. I interviewed, he literally was on the PJ from the doctor in New York, came to Baltimore, did that and then left and went back to Philly. So he wasn't there for anything else, but I interviewed a couple other athletes. Yeah. Who did you interview? Jordan Spieth, Georgia Ellenwood, who is a Canadian heptathlete looking to qualify for uh, the Olympics. She's like won the NCAA championship three years in a row. Lindsey Vaughn and Bryce Harper. Hmm. But you couldn't get Embiid. Uh, nobody. You could. weren't Embiid worthy. Nobody could get Embiid. <laughs> I, w- I did not trust the process. I would have loved to interview him, obviously, but I was just happy to to see the kicks. Jordan Spieth's available now. They bought Jordan Spieth's stock at like exactly the wrong time Under Armour did. They're like, let's buy all the Jordan Spieth stock. He's going to be amazing. He's a new Tiger Woods. And then it was like, Jordan Spieth, uh, where are you at? Well, they've had him for the entire ride. They signed him literally out of college when he left Texas. So they, they were there for the three majors faster than I believe anybody else. But as you know, golf is like, it's a long play. It's a long game. Like you could ha- you could reinvent yourself in the sport of golf well into your forties. So I I think they're okay. I think they're they're comfortable. I have a confession today. You're wearing your as you call them Super Soaker Steph Curry's. I mean it's not what I call them. That's what they're called. It's a collaboration well, as, between sorry, as, Super as Soaker I'm, and Steph Curry. As I'm learning this very day, okay, <laughs> so yeah, new to me. As I called them. as as my little pet name for them. 
Here's their here's, actual name. You could have made it up. You could have just lied and been like, these are super soakers and you could have made me look like an idiot, but you didn't. So thank you for telling me the real name of the shoe. Um, I like what you're wearing today to the point where I brought a change of clothes and I was like, nah, let's just go. You're not going to look good next to Donovan today. You brought anyway. change of clothes to do the podcast? Well, it's on video now. So I do a radio show and I come in, it's snowing outside. So I wear boots, like the type of person who has to take the TTC, which I am. I don't have a, the luxury of a car. I take the TTC in. I, I trudge through the snow. The great Canadian Husky. It's public transit for those not in the Toronto area. Yeah. I mean, probably if you put that together. They better be able to put that together. So yeah, I wear my clothes to be warm. And I was like, ah, I'll bring something for digital. And then I saw the way you were dressed today. I was like, there's no point. <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't gonna look any different. So this is where we why we are where we are. You missed last week. I did. But Shout out to Vivek for stepping in. He did great. He's a really, really smart guy. Uh, he's got a huge future in front of him, and I really do appreciate him coming in here. But we touched briefly at the end of last week's podcast on Norm Powell. Essentially, I did a PSA saying, stop trying to trade Norm Powell because it doesn't make sense to try to trade Norm Powell anymore. Who was trying to trade Norm Powell? Oh, man. There was this huge rumor floating around. Actually, I shouldn't say huge rumor, but it got a lot of traction. It was a writer that I... Sorry, this is not to be disrespectful to anyone. It was a guy I'd never heard of before who wrote that the Raptors and Pelicans might work on some type of J.J. Redick for Norm Powell machination. And that... I do find that Norm Powell gets thrown into a lot of different trades because of like where his salary is, right? He's, he's a more tradable piece than some of the other guys you have on your roster. He's got a little bit of contract length. Another organization might have viewed him as more of a starter or maybe a higher ceiling player than where he's used with the Raptors. They've got a little bit of something in Terrence Davis. They like McCaw. Maybe Norm becomes expendable. That's not the case. And that's what we're here to talk about today is how good is Norm Powell? Like, are we starting to get a clear picture on what he is becoming as a player, where you see him kind of fitting in? And the thought I keep coming back to with him is the one we had two years ago, which was Norm Powell supposed to be a starter now. Everything about this roster is essentially the same, that they're running it back. But they have Norm Powell, who was brilliant in the postseason before, who had shown them real flashes in big games, who had saved their ass in a couple of different series, are we going to see that over the stretch of an entire season? And of course, he gets hurt. He can't really get back in rhythm. He gets replaced in the rotation. The Raptors build bench mob. He's kind of the odd man out. And that idea of Norm Powell as this team's X factor just was washed away. And even last year, when you looked at the Kawhi team, Norm Powell, I wouldn't be considered as an X factor. He was a bench player. He would come in. He was a streaky guy. He could give you some minutes. He plays well in the playoffs. He extends it into the regular season. And now we're looking at something where, like, these are Norm Powell's numbers just over the last 10 games. And, like, his season numbers are great, too. But last 10 games, he's playing 28 minutes a night with 24 points a game, almost two steals, two assists, three rebounds. And here's what's the interesting part. He's shooting 94% from th- the free throw line. He's shooting 53% from three and 60% from the floor. And while those numbers might come down, is he establishing himself as this team's X factor moving forward? Is, is he a ceiling changer for this offense? Yeah, I mean, listeners of this podcast know that I've a long been a member and the president of the Norm Powell fan club. You built the first shrine. I was on Norm Powell Island, you know, at times by myself. You were. I tried to get you to come with me. You, you at times thought about it, but ultimately you left. I think you were as disrespectful to say that he was the new Terrence Ross, which hurt me 
dearly. I don't remember saying that, but I won't deny saying it either. So I've been about Norm's life for a minute, but I don't, I don't know if I'm being honest, if I ever thought that he would get to this level this consistently. I mean, everyone has been tweeting the stats. Norm in the last five, Norm in the last 10, Norm in the last 25. And at this point, we're just like, Norm has been very good this year when he's played and when he's been healthy, when he's had a run of play. And in those last 10, as you mentioned, he's averaged 28. So is it just opportunity? Is it just more runway? He's averaged 28 for the entire season. Like He's been steady. And, and although Minutes, yeah, you mean? Yes, yes, thank you. Minutes. The three-point shooting has been lights out. Forget about trading for J.J. Redick. He's basically been J.J. Redick from three. He's 42% on the season. That's what I'm saying. Like He's been really, really good. If you were to draw up a 3 and D player in a lab, like you would stop before giving them all the attributes that Norm has. His handle is better than most 3 and D players. And this year, his defense has actually been really good, even though he came in knowing that he was going to have to earn his minutes on the defensive end. It slipped a little bit, I think, in the last two years. And now I think it's back up where he's being an irritant guarding other point guards and wing defenders. And so I put in in our pre-production Google document, I just asked the question, is Norm Powell the sixth man of the year? And when you look at just the raw numbers as good as his are, it does seem crazy because Lou Williams is having a Lou Williams year on a winning team. 20 points, six assists, shooting 43 from the floor, effective field goals 49. I mean, he's just, he's giving you numbers. But if they took Lou Williams off the Clippers, does their win projection change? I don't think it changes at all. Like, he's nice, but he's surplus for requirements. To be fair, the Raptors did win games without Norm Powell as well, though. Sure, certainly. Like but, we've actually learned but that. But they won games without Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka and Marcus. They won games with everybody out. Like, that's just been the entire season they would be an entirely different matchup in a seven-game series if Norm Powell wasn't on the team. So I don't know if that's true for Lou Williams. And a big reason I say that is because Norm Powell is giving you production on both ends of the floor. Mm-hmm. Lou Williams is not. So if the question was, could Norm Powell be the sixth man of the year? I would say, yes, absolutely. This version of Norm Powell could absolutely be that. There would be an immense case for him. The Raptors, like, you should not be dismissed that this team could finish second in the Eastern Conference this year. Like, that's still very, very, very much on the table. They've still got one of the easiest three schedules remaining. They are chasing the heat. There are some, like, factors that are going to make that a little bit difficult. But the pushback I would have is he's started 17 of his 32 games this year. And if you look at what Nick Nurse has said recently, which is that the Raptors are going to rotate their starting lineup, I think you're probably going to end up in a situation where Norm starts too many games to be looked at as strictly a sixth man, whereas Lou is going to have that advantage of just always coming off the bench. If you're asking me the question of like, who would I rather have right now, Lou Williams or Norm Powell? I would rather have Norm Powell for a lot of the reasons that you just outlined. And the other part of it is, I think Norm's defense is a little overstated at times, but it was overstated for a long time because they were asking him to defend the wrong players. The one benefit of the way that this Raptors team is constructed is you don't have, I can still remember Norm Powell trying to guard Carmelo Anthony, that the Raptors asked him to do that, that they were like, Carmelo's in town, Norm, go guard him. And he's giving up, you know, three, four inches to, to Carmelo and Melo's just turning around on him. And this is a generational score. Of course, anyone would have difficulty doing that, but they used to ask Norm to cover bigger defense, uh, to 
cover bigger opponents. They don't have to do that anymore. Like there's OG, there's Rondé Hollis Jefferson. They don't need to rely on Norm Powell to be this like guy who defends way up in terms of weight class. Now that he gets to defend more appropriate players, like it, it is much better. The, the question I kind of have off of this in terms of, you know, has he become the X factor? What do you believe here is he's not going to shoot 53% or whatever it is I said over those last 10 games, but we have a pretty good sample that he is around a 40% three-point shooter. When you mentioned the consistency element of his game, do you think there's like much more to what we're seeing from Norm Powell now than simply consistent three-point shooting? Or is there something else that you've really noticed from him where you say, well, that is also much different too? Consistent three-point shooting, consistent three-point shooting off the dribble, consistent three-point shooting, not from the corners, but above the break. Uh, And and just the the confidence to be able to, even early in shot clocks, rise and fire and and shoot. Like, as as good as he was against Atlanta, if he has a couple that go down early, I don't think he's taking as many heat checks late if this was Norm Powell even a year ago, never mind two, three years ago. I hear what you're saying, and I did think about it when I was running the numbers in terms of, well, he started over 50% of the games. He's not really a six-man. But again, I think a lot of that was because Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet have both missed over 10 games. Mm-hmm. And so if we project this moving forward, and this is a theoretical question on whether or not you think Fred Van Vliet should be starting games, which I know you guys touched on at some point last week. If the roster is relatively fluid, but Fred starts more games than he doesn't moving forward, I think by default that means Norm comes off the bench more than he starts. And so I do think off of that alone, assuming this team, again, is more healthy down the stretch, that Pascal doesn't have a long issue where he's missing games, that the same is true for Fred, for Kyle, I think Norm ends up coming off the bench the most. But also, aside from availability, I just think actually when we're looking at best available, I think it's best for him to come off the bench because that second unit, if they lack anything, it's someone that can get their own shot. And Norm has proven that he can do it and he's comfortable doing it and that he doesn't need to think twice or or think three times or make the extra pass when he's playing with better players. When he's in that second unit, he can be a bit selfish, which I think is good. So... I still think we're going to see more a fluid starting lineup from Nurse where they're going to kind of roll guys into different spots and that ultimately Norm's going to finish with 30-plus games as a starter, which I think ultimately will disqualify you, especially when you look at him not going to be playing a full season this year. There's also the other factor of, yeah, when we're saying are Kyle Lowry and, and Fred both going to be healthy the rest of the year? I hope so. Man, they've already lost so many man games to injury that it's been a real annoyance with this team. If there's been anything that's been frustrating about this Raptor season, that's it. It's just like whether they've been able to stay healthy or not. I think the three-point shooting is huge, and those things that you mentioned are massive. But the idea that he can do both those things, that he can start and that he can come off the bench, and there's no like drop-off in play, despite like who he's surrounded with or what is being... His role stays the same and it stays consistent, which is he is a go-to, if not the go-to scorer, when he's on the floor. And when there's no Siakam out there, it's starting to feel like Norm Powell is your best option when it comes to off-the-dribble scorers that can do a multitude of things. And that's because, you mentioned, the handle has been better. He's finishing better statistically at the rim than seasons past at this volume. 
And that with the usage going up, like he's been hyper efficient. And if you look at this Raptors team of like things that they've needed throughout the season, right? Like what have the Raptors been missing? Well, they're clearly amazing defensively. You can even take a guy like Marcus Gasol, the lineup, Serge Ibaka steps in. He gives you great defense. Chris Boucher still steps in. He's a great help defender. You still get that. Ronnie Hollis Jefferson can take minutes. They're just so loaded with defensive guys that you can't pull one thing out of the lineup and, and not be okay. But when we didn't see Siakam and Norm playing at the same time, the Raptors half court offense just, it's stagnated. It's really tough for smaller guys like Fred Van Vliet and Kyle Lowry to consistently be able to get the shots that they want. They're more limited offensively with what they can do. You see more pull-up threes, more coming off of screens, off balance shots, more degree of difficulty, less frequency of being able to get to the free throw line. Norm Powell has that just enough amount of size, that amount of explosivity, that ball handling ability, that verticality to get to the rim, plus the three-point shooting. That's like, if it stagnates in the half court, you want Siakam to be your guy, but I kind of think Norm has become the number two option when it comes to Who's going to create their own shot for us? It's him. I think there's no question. I, I, I don't know really outside of Pascal and Kyle. I don't know that there is another option. What was that game at the beginning of the season where Norm got the last shot of the game? Was it the first game of the year? Remember the Raptors went to overtime and they gave Norm yeah, Powell the last shot of the game. 8.9 seconds to go. Van Vliet and Anobi Gasol and Lowry. Lowry will throw in from the far sideline. Will the Raptors win it or are we going to OT? Powell's got it near the logo. Three seconds to go. It's all Norm. Deep triple. No good. The Raptors didn't move it at all. Norm held it, got a clean look, but couldn't bury it. And we're going to overtime on opening night. But the conversation was oh my goodness. Norm Powell, that's the guy that you're going to at the end of the game. That's who gets the last shot. And now you're like, Norm Powell, he's the guy at the end of the game. He gets the last shot. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't, I think this team at the best of times, and it's not as if they can't score. They've scored 120 plus in four games mm -hmm. uh, consecutively. Um, they do it again. They're gonna, they'll start setting franchise records. It's not that they can't score, but they need to move the ball to score, mm -hmm. right? And and I think they just play better on both ends when they're moving the ball because the ball has a way to kind of have energy. But at the end of the game, when people know your sets that you love to run coming in and out of timeout and they're taking away your best stuff and they're forcing you to go to counters, and at times they're forcing you to hit tough shots, mm -hmm. Pascal, Norm, and Kyle, those are the only guys that on this roster that I would trust in that situation. Well, and Siakam has been slumping lately. Like if we did the last 10 game comparison with Norm, Siakam's last 10 games have not been very strong. He's been like a 26% from three guy and the, the field goal percentage is sub 50. He's only getting, I think, 16 a night over that stretch. He hasn't been as aggressive, but Norm Powell has kind of picked up the slack and that's what good teams need, right? Is they need a good secondary scoring piece or a couple of other scoring pieces that, you know, can supplement that offense for you in the half court, especially when you're, your a one stars, your best players, guys like Siakam, who are still developing into that role, need a little bit more time. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you. The consistency has been shocking. We've always seen blips of that ceiling, but it's now, I think twice in the last 15 games, he scored single digits. All others have been double. He's basically been a walking 20 points when this team has asked him to be that role, and he's done it with hyper-efficiency. And yeah, if, they, if he puts together a season like this, if they do have him come off the bench... I think he will be a fringe six man of the year candidate, like depending on, again, that game starting number and how many he finishes with. 
And I, I really do believe that if you're looking for reasons why the Raptors can win against some of the bigger teams, the, the batter teams in the Eastern Conference, he's one of the things that you point to now and say, well, you're gonna, you can get 20 from Norm. Like You're going to be able to see 20 from Norm against good teams. He can supplement some of that Siakam offense that we haven't seen up against some of those bigger, batter teams like the Bucks, Sixers, and Heat. He's going to be kind of that guy. So it's been a really exciting stretch for Norm. He's kind of rapidly... Not to overhype this, but the season has definitely been about, I would say, Siakam 1 in terms of his growth, Kyle Lowry 2 in terms of his longevity. But don't you think Norm has kind of become the, the third, like he's leapfrogged Fred a little bit as the like third story of the season from a like, wow, look at what this guy's doing this year standpoint? I mean, I think you could put Ibaka in that same conversation. I think just the bench in general, whether it's getting great minutes from Rondé or Chris Boucher proving that he's an NBA player would be part of that. And I, I also think Nurse has elevated himself in, you know, half a year from, yeah, he did some quirky things, but ultimately he was the cab driver that had Kawhi Leonard in the back to no, like this guy is a beautiful basketball mind. And so I think those would be the stories. I think the other story for me in the first half of the season would just be I was talking to someone who works in our TV programming department. The numbers and the interest has not dipped. If anything, it's taken like a steady incline from the beginning of the year. It's, so it wasn't just kind of honeymoon hype, like it's continuing to build. So I think that for someone who was cautiously optimistic but unsure, I think that's been a good sign as well. Yeah, and listen, this team is extremely likable and most of the championship chorus together and they've had a lot of success. So to me, it's honestly not all that surprising that the country has embraced them and that people continue to watch them. Which team, the Leafs are talking about or the Raptors? <laughs> Only one of those teams I like watching. And you can be the guests or you can have your own guess as to which one it is, which one is the fun team and which is the one that wants you to pull your hair out on a nightly basis. Um... Any other Norm Powell thought, or you want to move to East stuff? Uh, we have a feature with Norm Powell and Sportsnet.ca on our YouTube channel. So do yourself a favor, embrace the grind, log on and watch it. You have posed the question who the second best team in the East is. So I'll ask it over to you first. Like who? Let me put it this way. Who do you think the second best team in the East is? Like how different do you think that question is from who has the highest ceiling versus who do you think is going to finish second? Uh, I mean, I don't know. So basically, so we know who we're talking about. The Heat, Raptors, Celtics, Pacers, and Sixers are all within two games of each other. I think it's been proven over the last year and a half that in the regular season anyways, the Bucks are the class of the conference and Giannis is continuing to take another step. And so who's left? Because the flip side... I think being two is really important. So it's in, immensely important. In the, the first round, seed. you don't have to face one of the Heat, Raptors, Celtics, or Pacers or Sixers. So I think if it's just about talent, the Sixers should be the second best team in the East. I would argue if it was just about the talent, the Sixers should be the best team in the East. But that hasn't been the case. We'll see how they are when Embiid comes back from his finger injury. I do think that based off of their deadline last year, they'll be motivated to make a move to deadline again. And I just think big market, nice city, they're going to be a buyout contender. So 
I'm not willing to bury them mm. just yet. Clearly you are with your deep size. The one thing that concerns me about the Raptors in relation to the, all those other teams is they all have a closer. Now you may say- Some have multiple closers. Some have multiple closers. You may say, well, I don't like any of the Sixers closers. Mm-hmm. Or when Embiid's closing, I don't like the area of the floor with which he chooses to close. But they have someone who they know they're going to get the ball at the end of the game. Refs know they're going to get the ball at the end of the game. They're going to get some touch fouls. They're going to go to the line. The, I think the best one of the group might be Jimmy Butler. I think the Celtics certainly have Tatum being one. Brown is kind of proving he might be one. And I think Kemba is one. You think Kemba's one? I certainly do. I do too. He's amazing. Well, people are like, well, who's the Pacers closer? Yeah, they're going to get better at the deadline. This they're guy, wild card. Victor Oladipo, yeah. is coming back. And if he's anything close to how good he was before he got hurt, they have a closer. And we've talked about that the Raptors are kind of figuring out. I mean, certainly Kyle Lowry, when his shot is on, can be one. But as you've mentioned, you want the ball in Pascal's hands in those moments. He has been indifferent about being demonstrative about getting the ball in those moments, which, again, is different from him than the rest of that group. Mm-hmm. Would I be surprised if the Raptors finished second? No. I think they are the most consistent team of that group outside of maybe Indiana. But I'm fearful that they won't because before they went on this four-game stretch of crushing teams, they went on a stretch of losing close games. I honestly would not be surprised if the Indiana Pacers end up finishing second. And I know that sounds crazy. It's a wild card here. Because they are, their DNA is somewhat like the Raptors and then they're going to get Victor Oladipo. Does that make sense? It does, except I think... It's really, really tough to project what Oladipo is going to look like and him integrating to this team and how much he's going to be that old version of Oladipo. If you just remember Paul George coming back from his horrific leg injury, didn't recapture old Paul George right away. And same thing goes with Gordon Hayward. Tough right? break Not, for the Pacers. Right, but Gordon Hayward is a similar thing where it took a long time for Gordon Hayward to start looking like Gordon Hayward again. And so with Oladipo... If he shows it, I think they have that ceiling, but I still don't see them as the biggest threat. To me, if I had to do the power rankings, I think, weirdly enough, the Raptors have the highest floor out of that group where just because they have that defensive identity and they have that depth and they know themselves and they've been through the ringer, like I just think they're going to give you a consistent effort every night. And they're just better at everybody else, I think, of if you look at their schedule and how they, like I mentioned, they're the third weakest schedule left – they do a really good job of making sure they take care of business against those crappy teams. You think they have a f- higher floor than Boston? Yeah. I think their floor, like what you see on a night-in, night-out basis, is better from the Raptors. Like They have that more consistent identity. And part of that comes with what the drawback is, which is the Celtics still do have that, like, who is your best player on a given night? Is it Brown? Is it Tatum? Is it Kemba? Who's closing for you kind of thing? Plus, they have a bigger flaw in the middle of the floor. I know that they've had positive stories this year from Thies and from Cantor, but ultimately, I think that the Raptors just, if you want to compare the the middle of the floor between those two teams, like not particularly close. Give me the Gasol, Serge Ibaka over Cantor and, and Thies. But does it matter if it isn't clear in terms of who is going to be the closer at the end of the game? No, those, it does. If those three guys like each other, no, does it, it matter? Uh, yeah, it does matter because I think that even if you like each other, you still want to be the guy who closes up the game. So Celtics, I think, have a higher ceiling for that reason. I just think the Raptors have shown us based on having championship pedigree that their floor, even no matter how many guys you're removing from the lineup, 
they've still been able to get it done. They've still found ways to win ball games. Like, look how depleted they've been in some of the teams that they've still found a way to beat. Now that they're back healthy, now that we get to see like this version of this group, I just I think it's very, very interesting. Sixers never feel like they've fit all the pieces together or that they ever will. And even if they're a buy, I don't think they're a buyout candidate from measuring things out and leveling things out. They've just been kind of the what's the opposite of the Midas touch? Like the poop touch? They've just had a poop touch to things. Like they poop touched Al Horford. He came over and he's like, I don't really want to be here. They're like, yeah, because we poop touched you. They gave away Markel Fultz, who's like bodying LeBron James on plays and having his career high and all of a sudden looking like a player. It's like, yeah, because you were poop touched in Philly. Uh, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons have never really looked like the best versions of themselves. Jimmy Butler, like they picked the wrong guy, even though Tobias Harris is at games. There's something to be said about how your pieces fit together, even if you have the most talent, which they so clearly do, that I don't know if they figure that out during the postseason run or if they're able to do that against some of the elite teams that have a better idea of who they are and what their hierarchy is. To me, it goes like this. Bucks won. Everyone is very close, but Miami Heat, because of what they found in Bam Adebayo and for the reason that you just said in having Jimmy Butler as your closer, like... There's nobody I'd rather have from that list of players than Jimmy Butler. Just both ways on the floor, killer at the end of the games. They have that defensive identity. They have a bunch of guys who can kill you. They know who they are. They shoot the three well. They're extremely well coached. I love the heat this year. Plus, you factor that into their remaining strength of schedule is the worst in the NBA and that they're already holding that two seed. They probably go out and get it. Then it's between the Raptors and Boston. Then it's Philly. Then it's the Pacers. I actually disagree with you on the Raptors being healthier and that helping them. We had this um, Raptors roundtable where a bunch of contributors around sports that weighed in on a bunch of questions. Shout out to Stevie Leong who put it together. And one of the questions was, you know, do your expectations for the Raptors change, you know, now that they've gone through all these injuries? And I was like, no, not really. And part of the reason I say that is because their strength for me, even though Nick Nurse didn't want to use all of it at the beginning of the year, to me, their strength was always going to be their depth. At the beginning of the year, I said there's a value in not playing anybody that sucks. And so when you can go 8, 9, 10, 11 deep, and that, that you're, their, their strength is their collective strength. That they lost Kawhi, who was their one. They lost Danny Green, who was like their three or four. But they can go 10, 11 deep. So they have a bunch of guys who can play. I say that to say they're built so that they can withstand injuries. Mm-hmm. So when a couple guys go down, they, I expect them to be competent because that's your strength. If you can't do that, then what are you? And so the way I can see the Raptors getting to two is this. Not because they're going to be so much better because they're healthier. But they've proven it. When they lose a guy here or there, it hasn't impacted them that much. Even from a style of play standpoint, they haven't changed that much. But if you watch a 100-meter sprint, it's actually an optical illusion. So when Usain Bolt is pulling away or when Andre DeGrasse is reeling in somebody towards the end of a race, your eye is telling you that that person is moving faster, that they're gaining on them, they're gaining speed. That's not actually what's happening. What's happening is that the entire field is actually decelerating. Just someone's decelerating at a slower rate. So it looks like they're gaining speed. It looks like they're gaining on the competition. It looks like they're pulling away. And I think that is the comp for the Raptors. I don't think they're going to be that much better on the floor because they're healthy. But I do think that these other teams in the East, eventually they're going to have their runs where they're 
beset with injuries. Mm. And when that happens, I do not think that they're going to be able to hang and continue to play consistently the way the Raptors are. So if Boston loses any combination of their three guys who could potentially be all-stars, the Sixers have already dealt with the injuries and we've seen how that has hurt them. If Oladipo comes back and doesn't look right, or if Brogdon has some more injury issues, or they lose Sabonis for a long period of time, and God forbid if Jimmy Butler is injured, then like Miami just becomes Miami of last year. I think in those scenarios, I could see the Raptors pulling away or securing the second spot because I think their injury luck is can't be any worse. It could only get better. But I think regardless of what their injury situation is, to your point, their floor is higher because they're so deep. The truth of the matter is, on this question in particular, I don't have a hard, fastened opinion. This is like truly, I've flipped my thoughts on this a billion different times. And I just think that's the state of like where the NBA is right now, which is there's a bunch of really good teams that aren't great teams that you can talk yourself into somehow getting to a conference final, right? And in the East, it's deeper than the West in terms of how many teams I think you can really see there that there's a real true pathway there. Because ultimately, in the West, I, I, there's the two saws of the two LA teams that ultimately, I don't think that there's as many groups that could just beat them. In the East, it's just the one, you got to beat the Bucks in a seven-game series, and then everybody else is sort of equal. And yeah, can I talk myself into that talented Sixers team? As you mentioned, that there's a case for them to be the most talented team, that Joel Embiid gets hot for a few games, that they steal the Raptors' formula of using a couple of big bodies, good defenders on Giannis Antetokounmpo, slowing him down and forcing role players to win. Like, yep, I can see it. So that's why there's more teams in that conference that can do it. They're so close. All of them are so close. They all have their strengths and weaknesses. I don't agree that the Raptors don't have this other gear to kick because right now we've never seen them fully healthy. We've never seen Siakam really going at his very best with this best version of Norm, with this consistently great version of Kyle Lowry, with those pull-up shooters like that can play off the ball so well in your two-point guards, with that depth that now has had to go through the ringer and, and build up some experience together that's going to build some chemistry, with the coaching of Nick Nurse. There's absolutely a case that even without that top end closer that the Raptors don't have that healthy because of their meritocracy because they always do go to that hot hand that with the way that that's what I'm saying about Norm Powell being an X factor if all of a sudden he is this where he's someone who is a walking bucket it really does elevate your ceiling because it it gives you the one thing that you haven't really had which is consistent scoring in the half court when things get bogged down if he is that and he's able to create for wide open Kyle Lowry for wide open Fred Van Vliet for wide open Marcus Saul, even at this point, the way that he's been shooting the ball for wide open OG, that's what we have to see with this team is like the defensive ceiling is already established. They can be the best defensive team in the NBA. They are always going to be a great defensive team, no matter how you pull it out. But with all their pieces intact, there's a talk that we're going to have in a couple of months about how good this group can be offensively. And, and we're going to really find out how great they, they are as a collective. I mean, they just scored 120 points for four straight games. Yep. Like, I don't, I don't know how much better... Well, greatness is doing it consistently, right? Like, it's not so much that they're going to go over what they're doing, but to do it against good teams. That's been the bugaboo with this Raptors group all season long is we haven't had a great sample of what they look like healthy versus the elite teams in the NBA. Like, that's why the Sixers game is so exciting. Yes, agreed. But I I just, they've won 67% of their games. I don't see that going up. I don't see them winning 70 or 75% of their games. And I could say the same for Milwaukee. Milwaukee's on like a 70-win pace. Mm-hmm. I don't see that holding. And so I think there is 
a real talent in actually just staying the course. And I think that's what you'll see with Toronto, which may end up being good enough to finish second. So it's all-star time. It is. And it feels really loaded just from star power standpoint, the NBA. Some of the, the way that offense is played now, there's so many guys with numbers that you look at it and you're like, oh my God, those are his numbers? The game is changing a little bit, but it's, it's a very, very worthy field. Do you have any thoughts on what the ballot looks like as of today or maybe a bubble player that you feel extremely strongly should be in? Like, How are you feeling about this all-star group? Uh, I'll give you my, my projected ballot. Projected or what you think it should be? Uh, same difference. Okay. For me. Oh, so you think the fans have it right? No, God, no. But I, I do think that the players uh, will correct it. And ma- listen, a lot of the question marks end up being decided, one, by the coaches, and two, by the commissioner, because there's a couple guys who are injured who are, are not going to go. I do think I'll probably be closer to right. But it's there's some fascinating conversations. And I'm going to say a couple names, and you're going to look at me with a screw face. But I think that's the kind of year it's been. In the West, LeBron, AD, Kawhi, Luka, Harden are your starters. I don't think anyone is really arguing any of those names. I have no pushback to any of those names. No. Okay. Off the bench in the West. And now this is where it gets interesting. Lillard, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. Just dropped 60. Chris Paul, who people may like, really? But when you look at the value of him in terms of what he's done to the Thunder, I think he gets in. Paul mm-hmm. George, Jokic. Again, looking at value in terms of on-off, I think Carl Anthony Towns no. is going to be... Okay. No, 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 no. Carl Anthony Towns can kick rocks all the way down the road. Like Carl Anthony Towns do something on defense and like be healthy and like do a con. Carl Anthony Towns, like the Raptors play the Timberwolves the other night. And I'm like, I've never been less afraid of a player that's supposed to be the greatest player I've ever seen in my entire life. So, so is Rudy Gobert? A- Rudy Gobert, absolutely more deserving. Team is winning games and he's the anchor of a team that's what, won 16 of their last 17 or something stupid like that. So you'd have, he's the you- best defensive player in the NBA. Like, yeah, give me Rudy Gobert over Carl Anthony Towns. Would for you take season. LaMarcus Aldridge over Carl Anthony Towns? Another team that's winning games. Yes, I would. I would do it. I would do it. Yes, you, I would. You don't man. really sound that confident Car- about it. Dude, yes, give me LaMarcus Aldridge. I just, no, the Towns has missed games and he's Carl Anthony Towns. Like, can, can the Timberwolves win 10 games? Well, they actually started the season, as you remember, very good. And then he missed games and they've been terrible since. Uh, Let's not get in the weeds. I'm sure. I just, I, I call like it the towns. I don't but, he's ha- but his numbers have been outstanding. I think Devin Booker is also going to be an all-star. Sure. And I also think Ingram is going to be an all-star. Dude, I got to say, like, I know I didn't want to get in the weeds on some of these things, but if this season has changed my opinion about certain players, Ingram's like on my first ballot of you've changed my mind about you guys. Like night in, night out, you watch him. And like, if we were talking about closers and who has closers, that guy's a closer. Like, you can give that guy the ball against anybody, and he's going to get a bucket for you. Like, that's a bucket, bucket, bucket getter in, in Ingram. Like, total ceiling changer. Like, he was still the prize piece, but he had the health concerns, remember? That was kind of the scary thing in doing that New Orleans trade. And I see new lease on life with this guy, and this is going to be, I don't know if this is a hot take, but I wonder if the Zion injury was actually kind of a good thing for letting him establish himself with a team. And then letting Zion come kind of into this mix. And now the two of them figuring out, you know, what the actual hierarchy of their team is and how they're going to fit together. Because, yeah, Brandon Ingram is Brandon Ingram is amazing. I really, really love watching Brandon Ingram hoop. I like I don't really have any pushbacks to any of these guys. I would say, like, please don't put Carl like no Carl Anthony Towns. You don't get onto the team for me. Uh, I think it's hilarious that Dwight Howard had a ton of votes. He's had a really good season. Like, don't I 
I never thought Dwight Howard was going to be this good. But ultimately, like, I, I agree with all your guys. Like, I don't see who I would be, you know, taking off of, of that list other than Towns. No Towns. Please, no Towns. Uh, okay, let's try it. Let's see if we can keep it that way. Okay. In the East is, and to your point about the league having a bunch of fascinating names. Sorry, go I ahead. forgot one thing about the West. Yeah, go ahead. John Morant. He missed a lot of games too, though. I know. But wouldn't the All-Star game be better with John Morant? And have you seen somebody, have you seen all those guards like play as good as Ja has played recently? No, but he has missed a lot of games. Mm-hmm. And you have to, it's like when you're the challenger, you have to knock out the champ. When you're right. in your first two years in the it's league and you can still play in this chic rookie sophomore game, you have to basically okay. be Luca. I'm here, I'm hearing all this. I'm just saying you put Chris Paul in there and I'd be like, Chris Paul had 27 points in the first half against Houston the other night. And it was just awesome to watch this vintage Chris Paul just do his thing of get to the mid range and just pull up on bigger players and score and score and score. And like, what I still love about Chris Paul is that he has that FU to him where he wants to just, he wants to kill the Rockets. And there's nothing I want more. I've said it a million times than Rockets Thunder round one, but I don't know if Chris Paul has been better than Shea Gilgis Alexander this year. And so if you're asking me like if he's the all-star, I'm not even sure he's the all-star from his team. So I would just rather see John Morant in the game than Chris Paul. And I think Chris Paul is like, why do we even need you there, Chris? Everybody hates you in the room. Nobody wants to talk to you. <laughs> like you're going to be telling guys to play defense in the all-star game. Just give me, just give me John Morant. Give me John Morant getting in the paint, scoring around the rim. I think he's my number one league pass player right now. Uh, I mean, I would have Luca up there, but yeah, it's close. John Morant, like every single game I watch, even the Grizzlies uh, on MLK Day, they're down, they're down, they're down, they're just getting blown out. And then all of a sudden the Grizzlies start getting hot. And why are they getting hot? It's like, because John Morant is just like getting what he wants at will. And for a point guard to have his like finishing ability around the rim and then play defense and care. Did you see that clip where Harden didn't defend him up close and he drills the three in his face and he's just like, tell that MFer who I am. I'm like, you're a rookie. I love you. I couldn't possibly think that I was ever going to think like, I'm not sure Zion is the rookie from this class I love the most. I'm obsessed with John Morant. It's it's a true obsession. I love him. I it's love him. It's funny you said because I said to someone the other day, even if Zion was playing, I think Ja I, would have been rookie of the year. Yeah. Yes. Agree. <laughs> like I said, as the president of the John Morant fan club, actually, no, I'm not the president. There's a million people in the John Morant fan club. As just a willing participant in the John Morant fan club, the John Morant Appreciation Club, like I, I, he was just like the designed for the me I love. The that team in general, I just need to gush about the Grizzlies for 10 seconds before we move on to the next thing. They have two Canadians who got criminally overlooked in the draft, right? Mm-hmm. Dylan Brooks, like, what did he need to do at Oregon to prove to you that he wasn't a second-round pick? They grab him. Brandon Clark slid, like, what, 15 spots too low in the draft? Who thought Brandon Clark wasn't going to have a good career? Like, he was, like, the safest possible pick. You're looking at him, it's like... Somewhat undersized, but sure. Sure, but it's like, that's the thing. He's undersized, and he still gets you rebounds, and he still scores around the basket. He's just awesome. Didn't play in a very good conference, but yes. Sure, but did with it what he could control. Had a 20-20 game, and, like, he's just awesome. I love watching Clark. So they got these two Canadians. Then they've got... JV, yeah. so you get the like little Raptors connection. JV shooting threes on that team. He's like a, I don't know, just a fun bit player. He's playing very well. They've got Grayson Allen, the like little bit of hate element that yeah. you can just throw in the mix. He where it's just like, there. ah, make them a little polarizing. He lost me there. Grace, it's just, they're just such a great, fun team to watch night in, night out. There's like, their whole team has compelling guys that you want to see something from. Like Jaron Jackson, like the whole team is fun. They're just a great group. And 
we did this way too fast with the Timberwolves, the like anointing what that next group is going to be just from a talent standpoint of whose group would you want to have talent wise. They played New Orleans uh, on MLK Day. And I remember I just all I could think of watching that game is who would you rather have the future of that Grizzlies core with Jackson and Ja and the role players that they have around them. And Clark, I shouldn't even say Brooks is a role player like he gets you 20 easy or Zion with the injury stuff looming and professional bucket getter and talent extraordinaire Brandon Ingram. Probably still the Pelicans. It's close though. It is close. You know who it's not? The Hawks with your boy. No, it's, <laughs> it's not. not the Hawks. It's not. But I mean, people, whether it was Hawks this offseason or the Timberwolves the last three offseasons or mm-hmm. even before that, the Kings, were quick to anoint the, well, this team's coming. Watch out for this team. There are a couple pieces and some experience away. And then for some teams, it never actually happens. You um, just reminded me of something, which is, uh, did you see the the clip going around of it's Dennis Scott and... No, I don't know what else you're going to say, but if it's Dennis Scott, the answer is no. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a clip of Dennis Scott and Sam Mitchell picking their teams to come out of the East this year. And uh, it's like, I, only I Sam has the Raptors and the Raptors are eight and D3 has like the Atlanta Hawks yeah. and the Pistons. And it's like, there's nothing worse than his list of teams that he thought was going to make the last. Let's get right to the juicy stuff. Who's making the playoffs? Gentlemen, Whoa. let's start in the Eastern Conference. Right. We'll go Ooh. eight through one. Let's show you who we have at the number eight seed in the Eastern Conference. Sam, you've got the defending champs, the Raptors. Meanwhile, 3D, the Nets. Yes, I I picked the Nets because we know the Eastern Conference is kind of up all up in a a shambles, so to speak. But I think they're going to be tough until Kyrie figures out how to play the defense the Nets played last year. I think they're going to struggle early on. I know they lost Kawhi, the Raptors did. But look, anytime you had the best group of role players mm. ever in the NBA. Yeah, yeah. Good They got to be at least an AC after they won the championship. All right, you good got the, the baby Bulls coming in at seven. They're ready to make the playoffs? I'm bullish on Zach Levine. You had him as a rookie in Minnesota. The kid works his butt off. Laurie Marketing, another kid I think is ready to take that next leap and being a, a great player, a great young player, should I say. And I think their bench, a guy like Thaddeus Young, I think he can come in and help him. All right, let's go to number six here for both of you. Who do you have? We've got the Hawks Ooh. at six and the Heat. At six for you. You you had the heat at seven. Honestly, like I don't advocate for people losing their jobs, but if I was him, I'd take like a sabbatical or something and go watch like games and pay attention to the league. Like that's a that's like the worst freezing cold takes I've ever seen. It's like Atlanta and Detroit. He's like any Eastern Conference team over the Raptors, sir. Like I'll take them all. Well, I don't think it's uh, no, over, it's so over, bad. No, over the Raptors, <laughs> oh, yes, so bad. But thinking that the Pistons were going to make the playoffs I and mean, they've been close the last couple of years. Like that's not crazy over the Raptors. Yes. Oh, the Hawks. Like if I, I said this, I had Blake Murphy on a good show today. He co-hosted with me. And if you're a fan of uh, this program, I definitely recommend it. Go back in iTunes and go check it out. And I asked him, what would the line be if you knew the Raptors were going to try when they're fully healthy against the Atlanta Hawks? I said 38 and a half. Like 38 and a half is how much the Raptors are favored by. If they go into that game and they're like, we want to smoke this team. We're going to play the best version of ourselves. We're going to treat this like it's game six against the Bucks. No, no, that's too many points. That's 38 and a half for me. You couldn't entice me to do anything else. Like 24. Hell no. Give me the Raptors. They're going to switch that team. All right. I mean, so- if, if, if Atlanta hits, starts the game with a three and a two, goes on a whole five point run. All of a sudden Don't care. you're talking about 43 and a half. Sure. 
Put it higher. That's too many like points. Raptors are too good. All right. With that being said, let's move over to the Eastern Conference. Quickly, because this is obviously way too long as usual. The East, I got Kemba and Young in the backcourt. Giannis Embiid and Butler. Don't worry, Raptors fans. I have Lowry Siakam. Kyrie, even though he shouldn't be there, but he's going to be there. Uh, Simmons and Levine gets in because it's in Chicago, hometown. And then this is where the real debate is. I mean, some people will be upset with the people who I have in, but this is why the East is fascinating. Two wildcard spots, and you're going to have one, if not both, of the Celtics guys and Brown and Tatum. And I think if they're second, you might get three guys in if they're fourth or fifth you probably aren't if you could choose one of those two guys who would it be Tatum and then you're going to have these two young listen pack 12 I know you like Brown I'm just saying there's no wrong answers to this This is a debate show but that's the wrong answer okay Uh, (laughs) and then the the two guards who have been steady despite their all-star guys ahead of them being injured they've played at a high level in Dinwiddie and Freddie V neither so you so Brown and Tatum go to the All Star game, and the Celtics have three All Stars. Options first of all, the Celtics I, have three All Stars. Here, yeah. Here is the thing: if I am going over this list, I think Zach Levine and Trey Young are essentially the same guy. Where it's like they're gonna get good stats on bad team dudes, like, but they're having great years, so they have to be put in. Like Trey Young's efficiency for what he's being asked to do offensively as as you know on that team, it's impressive. Like he has to get on. I know I'm not a big Trey Young fan. I know I had the tweet about how he's Lou Williams 2.0, except for with better playmaking, but he's got to be on the team. He's, he's there, right? Derek Rose has to be there. Here's the guys who I thought like guards who Derek Rose. Yeah. So you're saying Fred Van Vliet is not going to go to the Derek Rose is going, dude, Derek Rose is going. He, Derek Rose has to go. Has Derek Rose had a better year than Fred Van Vliet? Yes. I disagree. Unequivocally. So like for sure, like in every regard, what about the regard of defense or winning? Yeah, steals. <laughs> no, winning though, but like if you drop D Rose on the Raptors, like their record is the it's the same. You'd rather have Derek Rose on the Raptors than Fred Van No, Lee. God no, I'm not what saying you, that. So then what are you talking about if you dropped him on the Raptors? I'm saying that the, the Raptors are a good basketball team. And the Raptors you, are a good culture. If you dropped yep. like half of the league on the Raptors, yep. the record is Except the same. Except for Zach Levine. <laughs> Zach Levine is going to sewer your team. There's never going to be a team that wins with Zach Levine. No, but I would say that out of the guards, this is a tricky one, but I would say Trey has to be there. No way Kyrie's going. Like Kyrie can go onto the bus with where he put his teammates, in Dude, my opinion. Kyrie might start. Yeah, I know. It's a tragedy. <laughs> it's a tragedy. He compared himself to MLK Listen, on like day before MLK day. I don't like he's I'm a not lunatic. I like it. <laughs> no, he's but the worst. If you have your own shoe, you are in the All-Star game. That's kind of how it works. Well, guess what? Take a hike, Kyrie. Like nobody needs you here. And guess what? Kyrie already did his plotting. Like there's nowhere for him to plot to go to this year. That's the only thing that's interesting about Kyrie and All-Star. No, he's going to be like, plotting for the two pieces that they need. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, I'm sure there's so many guys that are going to be at this All-Star game. Be like, you know who I want to play with? Kyrie. Like that's who I want to go with. The guy who compares himself to civil rights leaders. KD did. Oh, <laughs> that was the most cringeworthy thing I've ever seen in, from a basketball player. Like ever. Like what are you doing? What are you saying? They both have dreams. It's not wrong. Oh, <laughs> he's like, you know, I was injured and, you know, Martin Luther King fraud for human rights. But, you know, we the two of us, you know, we're just that's the way it goes. And your guys like us. 
It's as simple as that. There are things that need to change within media engagement and player interaction. It just is what it is. It, it's, a, it's the elephant in the room that nobody wants to admit. But I'm going to continue to focus on what's best for our team. And when I was out for those seven weeks and not saying anything and still people are still saying things about me, it's, it's inevitable. You know, they crucified Martin Luther King for speaking about peace and social integration. It was, it, you know, you could go back to historical leaders and great people in society that do great things and they're still going to talk shit. It is what it is. Like, I know what I stand for. I'm a great family man. I have great values, core values. This basketball stuff is a game at the end of the day. It's dramatized. It's entertainment for people and fans. I'm a human being at the end of the day. I'm going to keep on reiterating that. But like I said, my focus is making sure my teammates are great and our organization is at a championship level. I talked to the guys in the locker room and as well as I reached out to Sean and I reached out to Kenny just to make sure that nothing was taken out of context Context and making sure that the guys knew exactly what I meant. You know, and, that, and that's the only thing that matters um like i said everyone can say if i was in his position i would have said this i would have done this they have no idea because they've never been at this level so how could you even comment on it but like i said it's entertainment i get it um the most important thing is making sure that these guys have the belief in themselves and not continue to reiterate that confidence that we have as a team boy imagine having like that little just understanding of who you are uh kyrie irving super genius thinks the earth is flat and that he's mlk so yeah, Trey Young, Kemba, D. Rose, Lowry, Levine. Those are my like, you got to be there, guys. Everything else is like, sure, whatever. But that's the group. You can talk me in, you can talk me out of everybody else, but those are my got to have thems Would you like to make a bet that Kyrie Irving is at the All-Star game? No, I'm not debating Rose that. I'm not debating that. I'm just saying that like, he is going to get in. He was what, second in votes the last but time? But this is not the who we want to watch. Yes, it is. That's what I'm saying. You're asking me case, my ballot. Uh, Rondé Hollis Jefferson would be going to the Do you think game. that a single coach is going to vote for Kyrie to be in the All Star game? No, because like, he, he very well might start. Yeah. Like, it won't get to that. All right. Well, good. Well, he, listen, he's probably going to be hurt. And so he'll, he'll probably open up an opportunity for someone like a Fred Van Vliet. And he'll op- open up an opportunity for so many other people because when he's on the shelf, like the good work that he's doing in the communities is just like, it can't be understated. Uh, okay, so those are my guards. Those are your guards. No, we haven't done forwards yet even. So what's the front court then for yeah, you? No, we d- yeah, no, we did We did the entire East. East front court? Yeah. Okay. Giannis Embiid, Butler. Yep. Siakam. Siakam. Simmons might as well be a forward, but he's not. Yeah, we did Bam, we Bam did has all. to be there. I don't think he's getting there. Bam got to be there. Bam's too good. Man, my all-star battle is just like, put 20 guys in the all-star game. Like, who cares? None of these guys want to play the full game anyways. It only matters about the last five minutes. Give guys whoever have an all-star season all-star games. Like, duh. Anyway, I didn't know I was going to get so heated on all-star stuff. But Kyrie just brings that out of me. Kyrie just brings that out of me. I didn't like him. Yeah, I just, I can't. I just can't. I defended him in the first place. Like, a couple of weeks ago when the Boston thing happened, I really defended Kyrie Irving because I think we do this really crappy thing to athletes where we say, like, turn off social media, ignore the world around you. And it's like... With Kyrie Irving, the internet has gone too far. Putting up signs and calling him coward around Boston, like these are what I think, they're not in good taste, they're not in good fun. If you read Kyrie Irving's Instagram or social media messages, it would be like horrific. You can't deal with that. Like I've said it before on the show, when I get flamed on social, like it affects me mentally. So I think that Kyrie lives under pressures that we can't even fathom. But so much of it is like self-inflicted when he says these things and he opens himself up to it. It's not that I want him to be silent. Like I love when athletes talk about themselves and when they share their genuine opinions and who they are. It's just that Kyrie Irving, like there's some things that you don't need to do, like name the teammates you like and compare yourself to like one of the most impactful civil rights leaders in the history of humanity. Like 
come on, man. Like, just stop slashing your own tires, buddy. Like, let me just like you. <laughs> you wanted to be the guy. Now you're the guy in the, like, worst possible ways. So, whatever. End of rant on Kyrie. You want to call it? <laughs> if anyone is still listening. People are still listening. I agree with JD on Kyrie. And listen, um, subscribe to this podcast. Leave a review on this podcast. We love the associates. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next week. Don't listen to this, Kyrie.